Hey there, I'm Edwina Kennedy, registered pediatric dietitian and mom of two, and this is the My Little Eater podcast. Each week, I'll be dishing out all the best info on feeding and nutrition for your baby and toddler, answering all of your what do I do when scenarios, and helping you gain complete confidence in not only feeding your child, but in parenting as well. Every episode is filled with actionable and proven feeding strategies delivered by a mama and a feeding expert who's been there and done that. I hold your hand and take you step by step through all stages of feeding while showing you how to implement what I teach you so that you can raise a happy and healthy little eater of your own. Let's do this. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the My Little Eater podcast. I am your host and registered pediatric dietitian, Edwina Kennedy, and I'm pretty pumped that you're here listening to this episode today. I just want to say thank you to all my longtime listeners. We are coming up on almost 50 episodes. We are on episode 47 today, which is pretty crazy. And I just want to also say welcome to any new listeners. I'm so happy to have you here. I hope you stay with us for the long haul and really enjoy not just this episode, but maybe, you know, binge listen to a few of the past episodes and you'll see that you're really going to find a lot of great information here. A lot of topics that are covered from questions, you know, from parents just like you, you know, things that come up in their daily lives, the questions and the problems and the you know, all the things that you want to know um, when feeding your baby and toddler, I aim to cover here. So I am so happy to have you here. Today, we're diving into the topic of everything you want to know about eggs for your baby and toddler. Now, listen, eggs are my absolute favorite food. Actually, our, my whole family is obsessed with eggs. We probably go through almost a full carton every single time we eat. I have, no, let me think. I have about three to four eggs (laughs) when I do eat them every single morning or, you know, every meal whenever I am making them. My boys each have about two eggs. My husband has two eggs. So what is that? Four, eight, that's like 10 eggs between us. So yeah, almost a full carton. We eat a lot of eggs, particularly me. I just love them. I I don't know. I just, I've, I've never gotten sick of them. I mean, we have this running joke between me and my mom too. Like she loves eggs as well. Um, and we're like, yeah, if we could only eat one food for the rest of our lives, eggs would definitely be it. They're like nutritious and they're sustaining and they're versatile and they're great for breakfast and lunch and snack and supper and all that, all of that jazz. So (laughs) you can tell I have a little obsession. So when it comes to serving eggs to your babies and your toddlers, there can be a lot to know. So I want to kind of answer all of the main major questions that you have been asking me, you know, for months and months in terms of, you know, how do you introduce them? Why should you introduce them? Um, When do you introduce them? How often do you introduce them? But also like, how do you navigate through all of the different types of eggs that are out there, you know, that leave you kind of questioning whether, you know, you should be choosing one type over the other, you know, does it even make a difference? So we're going to go through all of that today so that it's nice and clear for you. So let's start with the reasons why I personally love eggs for babies and toddlers and why I actually recommend eggs as one of the first foods to introduce. I have a blog post and another podcast episode on the top eight foods for starting solids, and you better bet that eggs makes the list there as well. So 
Eggs are high in iron, first of all, and we really want to start getting babies used to eating high iron foods frequently right from day one since they need supplemental iron, which basically means iron has to come from the diet. Their body cannot produce the iron in order to meet their needs. And as much as breast milk is amazing, it is not, I repeat, it is not sufficient to meet iron needs. So, you know, having an iron source at every single meal to ensure that their very high iron needs are met is very, very important. And of course, eggs are a great way to do that. Eggs are also a soft texture and they work great for new eaters that are just learning how to chew and how to mash foods. So whether you're doing baby led weaning or puree feeding, you can manipulate the texture of the egg to meet your baby wherever they are along my texture timeline, which is a signature tool that I've created to, you know, help babies advance in textures in a timely manner. You can learn more about this in a previous podcast episode that I've done. I will link it for you in the show notes if you are interested in learning about how I advance babies through different textures and also how I kind of, you know, still meet them where they are and look for the signs that they're ready to move on. Also, I think I've done a couple blog posts that cover a little bit of info on the texture timeline. So I will link that all in the show notes for you. But eggs are a really great creamy texture. So this is one of the textures that I actually recommend introducing to baby after they've already mastered those thin and smooth foods like purees and they're ready for a little bit more of sensory stimulation without the need for heavy chewing. So it's a perfect transition food into the rest of the world of varied and more advanced textures out there. And of course, depending on how you cook the egg, for example, boiling eggs, that's going to give you a more rubbery texture, which is found in phase three of my texture timeline. So it's a little bit more advanced. So anyway, it, it really depends on how you're cooking it, how you're serving it, but for the most part, it's a very, very easy texture for most new eaters to learn. Eggs are also one of the top 10 highly allergenic foods, which means that it's a food that we actually recommend offering early and often. This is something that we've seen reduces the risk of developing allergies later in life, specifically for eggs and peanuts, the research shows, but we do extrapolate that data for all the other allergenic foods as well. So offering them all early and often as close to six months of age as possible. Now, both the egg white and the egg yolk are technically two different allergens, but because you can't properly separate the two, we consider the whole egg to be one allergen and you know we introduce both the egg white and the egg yolk at the same time. Also, because eggs are found in so many recipes, I actually like to rule out an allergy to eggs first before most of those other allergens because if it is clear, then it opens up a whole slew of other recipes that you can offer to your baby. So it just makes meal planning so much more easy when you know that your baby can eat eggs and then again, you have so many more recipes available to you that you can actually serve to your baby safely. Eggs are also a nutritional powerhouse. So outside of just iron, of which there's about 0.875 milligrams per egg, every egg also provides about 6.5 grams of complete protein, meaning it contains all nine essential amino acids. And these amino acids are ones that we can't produce in our bodies. That's why they're essential. And therefore we need to get them in from our diet. So eggs can do that for us. And each egg also provides about 5.5 grams of fat, which is a very required nutrient for all of us, but especially for babies and toddlers who need lots of energy from fat to sustain them. 
And the yolk is actually where all the delicious good-for-you fat is, as well as fat-soluble vitamins like vitamin A and D and E, and also antioxidants like lutein and zeaxanthin. It also contains about 32.5% of an adult's vitamin B12 needs, 66.5% of biotin needs, and 37.5% of choline needs. And by the way, choline is an important nutrient for brain development, and it's especially important for baby and toddlers because their brains grow so much over the first three years of life. So you can see it's an extremely well-rounded food and it just needs, you know, a little carb-rich food on the side to make it a complete meal. So now let's distinguish between the different types of eggs that are out there. If you've walked down the aisles in the supermarket, you've probably seen at least four or five different types of eggs. And you're probably wondering which ones, you know, are better for my baby or toddler and is it worth the price? So let's start with the simplest of the simple, brown versus white eggs. So the color of an egg is basically based on the breed of the hen. That's what determines whether you get brown or whether you get white or even there's some in-between colors. And although you might find that there's a slight difference in price, this is actually just due to the difference in cost to raise different breeds. So for example, some breeds might require more feed than others, but there really is no difference in quality or taste or nutritional value between brown and white eggs. So let's just set that straight from the beginning. Now, most of the run-of-the-mill eggs, you know, the the cheapest priced eggs that you'll see out there in the grocery stores are called conventional eggs. And these are also called conventional caged eggs, which are basically from hens that have been raised in small cages in very tight living quarters. And while, yes, they're regularly inspected cages and they're kept clean and, you know, the hens do have unlimited access to clean water and food, you know, this type of housing really isn't the best in terms of quality of life for the hens. It's really stressful. And in Canada, we're actually phasing out conventional caged eggs completely in order to improve animal welfare. And we're moving into um, what's called enriched colony housing instead. So enriched colony housing eggs are basically eggs that come from hens that are offered slightly more space in the cages per bird. And the cages are equipped with things like nest boxes and perches and scratch pads so that the hens can express more of their natural behavior. It's not the best, but it's better than the conventional caged eggs. Now, cage-free eggs is basically a catch-all term that encompasses the subcategories of free-run, free-range, and organic eggs. It basically just means that the hens from which the eggs came from weren't confined to cages. So they don't have access to the outdoors, and there's no stipulations around what feed or medications that they're given, which, by the way, means that there's not going to be any nutritional difference in these types of eggs compared to the conventional ones, because really, they're being fed the same. It's just that they have, you know, slightly more room to move because they're not in a cage. So let's break down each of those subcategories. So free run eggs, the hens that produce these eggs are able to roam in an open concept barn floor. Some of these barns may be equipped with multi-tiered aviaries with perches and food and water at different heights throughout the barn. But again, they don't necessarily have access to the outdoors and although populations are regulated, crowding may still be an issue. Then we have free range eggs. So these eggs come from hens that roam the barn floor much like free run eggs, but in addition, they can actually go outside to pasture at least 120 days of the year. It's a kind of a minimum of six hours per day, but 
we have to remember that outdoor access is only seasonally available. So especially in somewhere like Canada, they're not gonna be able to get access outside all year round. In addition to their feed, these hens are also able to eat what they find outside and on the barn floor. Again, there's no stipulations around what feed they're given when they're inside of the barn or what medications they're given, but they do have access to at least some other food sources when they're out in the pastures. Um, We don't have any evidence that does show that free range or any cage-free eggs are better for you or are nutritionally different than the conventional eggs. It's really more about supporting farmers who are creating more humane conditions for these birds. Okay, so now let's move on to pasture-raised eggs. So pasture-raised is not a regulated term. However, it typically implies that these hens are raised outdoors based on, again, time of year and location, but they're kept in shelters outside which help protect them from predators. And the shelters are rotated on different areas of the pastures daily so that the hens can actually forage for a larger portion of their food from their natural diet, which includes you know, grass and seeds and green plants and insects and worms. Now there is some minor evidence that shows that pasture-raised eggs have more vitamin E, vitamin A, but mostly more omega-3s and a better overall omega-3 to omega-6 ratio than conventional eggs, which does matter nutritionally because omega-6 fatty acids are more likely to cause inflammation in the body. So you want the ratio between the omega-3s and the omega-6s to be just right. However, the research really isn't enough to form any solid conclusions. So I think if you can afford pasture-raised eggs, then purchasing them for a potentially added and slightly nutritional advantage, coupled with your desire to support the most humane and natural treatments of the hens, I say go for it, but otherwise don't stress yourself out about it. We also need to talk about organic eggs because that's also, you know, something you'll see out there and you're like, is that the same as pasture-raised or free-range or what? So what organic eggs are are basically eggs that are produced under specific standards that are laid out by, well, in Canada, the Canadian General Standards Board and certified by a reputable third-party certification board. All of the certified organic eggs in Canada are produced in free-range operations. However, they do have even more space for roaming, and the hens are fed certified organic feed. And certified organic labels often require the use of organic feed without antibiotics, so that's good. Now, some eggs are labeled no hormones added. However, this is really nothing but a marketing scheme since there's no hormones that have ever really been approved for use in poultry production in the U.S. and Canada. So it's basically their but it means nothing. We do have minor evidence showing that organic eggs have a nutritionally different composition than conventional eggs and omega-3 enriched eggs, namely that, you know, they had slightly higher protein and potassium and copper levels, but, you know, conventional eggs contained higher magnesium and iron and omega-3 eggs had more manganese and calcium. So, Essentially, you know, if you change the feed, then the nutrition of the eggs is going to change as well, but it doesn't necessarily make organic eggs better. It's just different amounts of nutrients that they supply. So I still think that if you really wanted to choose the best of the best, but remember that it's really, really small differences here, I would probably go with pasteurized and then I would go with organic and then I would go with free range. And then, you know, the rest I would say is almost all on par. Just go with a conventional egg. But again, please don't stress yourself out about this because there's barely any evidence out there. It's just like a couple studies here and there. One I even looked at was not even strong in the slightest. So, you know, do what feels right for you and your family. 
Okay, now let's move on to omega-3 fortified eggs. So omega-3 fortified or enriched eggs are produced by hens that are fed a special diet rich in flax seeds. And some brands like Nature Egg Omega Plus, for example, even add in fish oil, which results in the eggs having a higher omega-3 and DHA content. DHA is the most important kind of omega-3 fatty acid, especially for babies and toddlers who need to support the rapid brain growth. And we know DHA is a building block of the brain. The most common brands that are found in grocery stores supply about 76 milligrams of DHA for every two eggs, while omega-3 fortified eggs contain 150 milligrams of DHA for every two eggs, while their quote-unquote plus line from that Nature Egg Omega Plus line contains 250 milligrams of DHA for every two eggs. So there really is quite a difference there depending on what they are fed. While there's you know no official recommended dietary allowance for DHA, Years of research has given a fairly good idea for general health for children. We know ages 1 to 18 need about 100 to 150 milligrams of DHA per day. And adults, by the way, need about 250 to 500 milligrams of DHA per day. So adding omega-3 eggs to you or your child's diet is a great way to get those much-needed DHA fatty acids, especially if you're not able to get it in via two servings of fatty fish per week or via a separate supplement. So make sure if you're questioning, what do you mean, fatty fish, two servings, why do I need this, what type, make sure to listen to my podcast episode from last week on the best and safest fish for your babies and toddlers, um, where I actually break down the fish that are high in DHA and how much is required per week to meet their needs. Okay, let's quickly go through the last few different types of eggs. We've got also vitamin-enhanced eggs. Basically, they have more vitamin E or vitamin B12 or folate, you know, because of, again, the feed that they're given. It has higher levels of certain nutrients. Then we have vegetarian-fed eggs, which means that the chickens are fed a no-meat or no-fish organic vegetarian-based diet, even though, you know, bugs and worms are a part of their natural diet. This guarantees that there's no animal byproducts or questionable ingredients in the hen feed, which may be important to someone who's following a strict vegetarian diet. However, again, there's no nutritional benefit to buying eggs that are from vegetarian-fed chickens. Then we finally have processed eggs. So these eggs are grade C eggs that are broken up by special machines and they're pasteurized. They're further processed and then they're packaged into liquid or frozen or dried forms. And just for a quick explanation, because I know people are going to ask, there is nothing wrong with grade C eggs. In Canada, the grading process checks the conditions of the shell, the position of the yolk, and the size of the air cell that's inside of that shell. But, you know, grade A eggs just look prettier and they can be sold in retail while grade B eggs are often used in commercial baking and then grade C eggs are used, again, in the production of processed egg products. So bottom line here, no matter what type of egg you decide to buy, know that you're generally getting the same nutrition with the exception of maybe a vitamin or especially an omega-3 fortified feed, which you may want to consider based on your family's diet. But ultimately, though, choosing which one is best for you and your family is mainly dependent on your commitment to animal welfare standards. Okay, now let's move on to the frequently asked question, do you need to wash eggs? And do you need to refrigerate your eggs? So American and Japanese mass egg producers all wash their eggs before putting them out 
for retail purchase so that they look and they feel clean. But washing them actually removes the outer protective film on the shell that prevents it from being porous and potentially leaves room for bacterial invasion. And as a result, they then have to spray it with a light coating of oil and then refrigerate them to keep any bacteria from developing on the egg. So that's kind of why we in North America anyway refrigerate our eggs because once they've been refrigerated by the manufacturer or by the retail store, then we need to keep them refrigerated at home so that they don't sweat and get moldy and they last longer. So again, if you live in North America or Japan, you don't need to wash your eggs because they're already doing that for you, but you should refrigerate them. However, if you live in Europe or other Asian countries outside of Japan, then egg washing is just done at home to clean them and then you can just use your eggs right away. Okay, now the big question is how many eggs can your baby or toddler have in a day or per week? Is there a limit to how much you should be giving them? And the answer to that is there is no limit. Many people are still in the mindset that eggs cause high cholesterol levels or that the saturated fat in them is quote unquote bad. But the research shows us over and over that there's no link between eating eggs and increasing risk of heart disease. Obviously, we don't really want your child eating mainly eggs, you know, meal after meal and not leaving room for other types of food in their diet. We really do want variety in general. I always promote that. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later on. But you know, if they want to eat one or two or three or four eggs, even in one sitting, let them go for it. Don't worry about it at all. Okay. So let's move on now to how to serve eggs at different ages. So let's start with the six months to one year age group. So what I want to say right off the bat is that egg yolks should be cooked through completely, meaning that you can serve over hard or boiled or scrambled or baked eggs to your baby. But if your child is under one year of age, runny yolks should not be offered due to the potential of salmonella contamination. Now, the one exception to that are eggs marked with the British lion stamp, which are found in the UK and in Europe. These indicate that the hens had higher standards of care and were vaccinated against salmonella. If you're able to get your hands on these, depending on where you live, then you don't have to worry about serving eggs with yolks that are a little bit runny. But otherwise, wait until your child is one year of age to start serving, let's say, over easy eggs. The best way to start serving eggs for babies six to nine months of age is really in the earlier days of starting solids, starting with those textures that are a little bit easier for them to chew and which pose less of a choking risk. And I also like to focus on serving eggs in this age group in ways that are easy for these babies to hold using their palmer grasp. It's not to say that you can't offer eggs in other ways to your baby during this time frame, but don't be surprised if it's harder for your baby to pick up. So some of the ways of serving eggs that I recommend between six and nine months of age are a baby omelet. So there's nothing easier for babies and parents alike than a baby omelet. Essentially, it's a regular omelet, but I like to whisk in some milk, either you know dairy milk or dairy milk alternatives like almond milk or oat milk or rice milk or um, even breast milk or formula to the eggs before cooking them on the pan so that it turns out extra fluffy and moist. Then you just kind of cut the omelet into strips when you're serving them so that they can easily grab it using their pomegranate and they can suck on it or take bites out of it easily. The other way I like to serve eggs is eggs in a mug. I kind of made this up in terms of the name, but this is something that my husband used to make for our kids every morning, especially when we were in a rush because it was so quick and easy. But basically, this is a foolproof way to get moist, fluffy eggs for your baby, sort of like a souffle. So you're essentially kind of whisking a couple eggs in a mug. You're adding, again, a little bit of milk. You can grate some veggies and put it in, maybe put some shredded cheese if you want, and 
literally you're popping it in the microwave for a minute or two, checking on it. You might whisk it again, pop it in again for another minute and it sort of puffs up and it rises and it just slips right out, especially if you've coated that mug with like a cooking spray or some butter or something like that so that it doesn't stick to the inside of the mug. It's beautiful. It is soft and you can just kind of cut it into large chunks or you can offer a whole big piece to your baby. Again, they can take bites out of it really easily. Such a really safe and, you know, easy, quick way for you to be offering it to your baby six, nine months of age. Another way you can serve eggs to your baby is via an egg muffin. So I know they're not actually muffins, but you know, they're baked in a lined or greased muffin tin. And so that's what I call them. So they're very similar to the eggs in the mug recipe. You know, there are many variations for flavors and add-ins. And you can find actually one of my favorite recipes inside of my 30-day baby-led feeding meal plan. If you want to check that out, I will link that for you in the show notes. Um, But yeah, you're basically kind of cooking it in a in a muffin tin, baking it, and then, you know, you can, they work really well actually for freezing and serving later on um, to your baby throughout the week. So that would be another great way. Mashed or boiled eggs is also great, but I always recommend adding in a little bit of milk or mixing it with some kind of puree like yogurt or avocado so that it adds some moisture and it makes it easier for your baby to chew and swallow. So I literally would hard boil some eggs, mash it with the back of a fork, mix it up with the yogurt, let's say, or milk or whatever, and then you can spread it onto some toast fingers or put it on a preloaded spoon for them to self-feed. And then finally, you can offer them over hard eggs. So remember, we don't want any runny yolks, but if they're over hard, that works perfectly. So just simply fry an egg on both sides until the yolk is fully cooked through and then cut it into strips for your baby to hold and take bites out of. Now let's move on to how would you serve eggs to a baby that's between nine and 12 months of age? Well, I think kind of the easiest one is just scrambled eggs. So although these are actually really soft and they're easy for new eaters to chew, I mean, technically a a six-month-old can very, very easily chew and eat a scrambled egg, it's just gonna be harder for them to pick up with their palmer grasp. So I recommend offering scrambled eggs on its own once the pincer grasp has developed. So like I said, around eight, nine, 10 months of age, that starts to emerge. You can also offer them cooked and then minced eggs. So let your baby practice their pincer grasp by mincing up cooked eggs really any way. Like you can boil it to start or fry it or make it an omelet. And then you can just practice with different sizes. You can do one inch pieces. You could do half inch pieces. You can do really tiny pieces. It doesn't really matter, but that would be totally easy for your baby to to eat using their pincer grasp. And then finally, you can offer your baby at this age boiled eggs. Now I like to start with sliced boiled eggs. So you know, thin vertical slices, especially using an egg slicer, I find is the easiest to kind of keep it intact without falling apart. But it introduces that rubbery and a little bit more dry textured egg to your baby, which is really great. Like I said, phase three of my texture timeline, it's definitely a texture we want to introduce, I would say, right around that nine months mark, if not even a little bit earlier, but it's not going to be as hard as offering them wedges. So I say start with the slices, give them a couple meals of practice with that. If they do well, move on to boiled eggs that are actually just cut in wedges. It's going to be a little bit more difficult to eat, but really still safe and and totally fine. They can figure that out quite easily. So you can offer that to your baby. So like I said, between nine and 12 months of age, those are kind of my recommendations for Uh, how you could serve eggs to your child. Once they're toddlers, of course, you know, variety is key. This is what I really want to talk about now is what considerations do we want to take when we're serving eggs, especially to our toddlers, but also to our babies. 
And the biggest thing, quite frankly, is I notice we tend to fall into the habit of serving eggs the same one or two ways over and over again. But, you know, with all that we know about preventing picky eating, offering as much variety as possible is the best way to prevent strict, no budge, like I have to have it this way kind of preferences. So you know how toddlers can be. It's like they they have eggs presented to them a certain way, and then they all of a sudden see it presented a new way, and they're like, mm-mm, no, not eating that. So for example, my boys were only served boiled eggs at Easter. It was literally a once a year thing. We would do like egg wars, and then we would peel the eggs, and we would eat them at my parents' place. But at home, I never truly made them because I don't particularly like boiled eggs, neither does my husband. I mean, I'll eat them, but they're truly not my favorite. So we're kind of more of the like over easy poached scrambled omelet type people. And you better guess it was like the hardest thing to try and get my kids to eat boiled eggs when we were away or on a road trip and I really just needed easy and convenient high protein foods to feed them. It was just so hard. And it took me, you know, two, three years to get them to start eating boiled eggs after really deliberately trying to put them in our meal plan to rotate them in using a lot of my strategies. And it worked eventually, especially for my oldest son. But I really realized this was an oversight on my part was just not offering the variety, like the boiled eggs alongside of the other types of eggs. And that's not to say that everyone has to like every single way of serving eggs. But if you only or mostly serve, let's say scrambled, or you only serve boiled, or you only serve egg muffins, don't expect your baby or toddler to love all the other types of eggs. So again, my advice is to keep as much variety as possible in your meals and focus on variety really for all of your food because you know once one or two things start dropping off of their favorites list and this happens almost like to 80-90% of all toddlers out there they start dropping off their favorite foods and then you need other options to fall back on while you work on getting them to eat those foods again so it really just makes you know their life and your life so much easier when you've got a nice big wide variety to start with of, of foods that they do accept So that's my big tip for you. So, you know, go for egg salads, dice them small, dice them large, serve them in wedges, do the over medium, you know, the omelets, the egg muffins, anything that you can think of, any different way, switch it up, you know, as much as you can. I think it's going to go a really long way to preventing picky eating. The other thing for toddlers especially, I don't want you to stress over really small amounts eaten of eggs. I get a lot of messages from parents that are worried and stressed because, you know, they can't seem to get enough eggs in their baby, like their baby barely even eats an egg, and like how is that considered a meal? Maybe they ate a couple bites, maybe they ate half of an egg, whatever. But here's what I want you to know. Toddlers only need two servings from the meat and alternatives category to meet protein needs. And one egg actually counts as those two servings. So that means if your toddler eats one egg and no other meat or beans or any other high protein or high iron food is eaten that day, that's okay. They've actually met their needs for the entire day. So don't worry and think, oh, you know, they barely ate and what a failed meal. They only took two bites. Remember, they're so nutrient dense, these eggs, and kids are so great at balancing their nutrient needs over time. So enjoy the fact that eggs are probably the easiest way to get much needed nutrition into them. And then last but not least, I just want to make a quick note to remind everyone that eggs are not just a breakfast food. So, you know, we typically think of eggs as just something we serve at breakfast, maybe we're repeating it day after day, or maybe, you know, we're only putting it on our menu once a week at breakfast time. But, you know, eggs make for an easy snack, lunch, or dinner meal. Breakfast for dinner actually is one of my favorite meals to make when I'm feeling lazy and I'm not feeling like cooking much. 
And, you know, boiled eggs especially, I find, are really the easiest things to keep in the fridge. You can keep them in there really upwards of like 50 days. Like it's crazy how long. And you can pull from them as needed and quickly use them for a snack for your baby or for your toddler throughout the week without much effort. You don't have to cook anything. And again, remembering they're so nutritious. And then the other thing I love about boiled eggs is they're excellent portable foods that are easy to keep in a cooler when you're on the go. They don't require heating up before eating. So, you know, let them show up in different meals throughout the day. Let's keep the variety coming even in terms of what meals eggs show up in. So not always expected to have it at breakfast. I think that's a really great place to start with adding variety to your meal plan. All right. That is it. That is a lot to talk about with eggs, but I really hope that this helped you out. This really helps clarify how much is safe, what type of eggs to buy, how to serve eggs, all that jazz. And if you found this episode helpful, would you please leave me a review? Just subscribe quickly. Take 30 seconds. Just give me like hopefully a five-star rating. Leave a quick review. This really, really helps me to, you know, first of all, to get your feedback and also so that this podcast is actually put out in front of more parents, more eyes on it so that they can get the help that they need as well. So thank you so much in advance for that. And I hope you have a great week and I will talk to you all next week. Bye.